Good morning. Not too loud. Well, my name is Trent Stevenson, and before I get started, I was asking Terry if you would uh, come up. I've got a song I'd like for us all to sing, and I know you stood up a lot, but could you stand one more time? <laughs> and grab a hand to somebody beside you, everybody. This, this song means a lot to me, and I think that um, it would mean a lot to you. Most of you know the song. Sweet, sweet spirit, everyone. We know the song. There's a sweet, sweet can we have a word of prayer? Lord, we come to You. We lift You up. Lord, I ask You to take me out of my body. And I ask You to fill me full of the Holy Spirit and speak through me and use me as You see fit, sir. Holy Spirit, please fill this place so that without a doubt we know 
that you are in this place. Lord, I lift up Mountain View. I lift up all its members and guests. And I thank you for all that's here. Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, like I said, my name is Trent Stevenson. I'm from Russellville. And before I get started, I'd like for my mom, my wife, Michelle, and my daughter, Haley, to stand up. <clears throat> Without these three ladies, I don't know what I'd do. Because they bounce between each other to help see me through this thing. And I uh, can't thank them enough. Um, there's nothing like a mother's love. There's nothing like a daughter's love. There's nothing like a wife's love. Um, they all seem to just pull together and, and make things happen for me. Um, I was praying about where to start with my testimony. And so uh, I don't want to give the devil no credit for anything that he was able to pull off in my life. So <clears throat> I want to start by saying as a child, uh, we grew up and had just about everything we wanted. My dad had a good job, and we had a good house, and we had pretty much all the things that we needed and wanted. And as I grew up and I got to, to junior high and high school, I just wanted to fit in. I just wanted to be like everybody else. I wanted to wear what they wore. I wanted to do what they were doing. And, I think a lot of us go through that, you know, as we're growing up. We may not admit it, but that's what we did. And I did it. You know, I remember friends, so-called friends, that, you know, they were drinking and smoking cigarettes and other things. And, you know, I wanted to hang out with those people because they looked cool. So I did, and time went along, and, and, uh, I kept doing things I shouldn't. We won't get into details, but you can use your imagination and you won't be wrong. And, uh, you know, I, I went to a, through a real tough time, went through uh, a lot of things with, you know, in high school that probably shouldn't have happened, but they did. And I went, uh, I got married, had my son Russ and then Haley. And uh, after 12 years of marriage, things just didn't work out. And we got divorced. Which set off a whole tailspin of problems for me. Because I didn't think, you know, I was going to be divorced, you know, at that time. It kind of surprised me. And uh, so I started to go back to the clubs and to the places I shouldn't to see if I could fit in again, and see if I had any mojo left. And so I did, and ended up having to go to rehab. And so I did that. And um, I remember going to Decatur Baptist Church, and they had this thing called Celebrate Recovery. And I went to this every Thursday night, and I just loved going there because people like me were there and I fit in there and so they had these small groups and one night 
I heard this scripture, and it's uh, Romans chapter 7, verse 18. And where it starts, it says, For I know in my flesh dwells no good thing. That which is good, I know how to do it, but I don't do it. And those things I shouldn't do, I know I shouldn't do it, but I do it. So if it's not me that's doing it, it's the sin within me that's doing it. And so I don't know, it just clicked with me as to why I was doing some of the things that I shouldn't do. That is the sin. And I got saved that night. I got saved that night without a doubt. And you know when you get saved without a doubt, you're saved. And you feel it, you know it, there's no question about it. And so... I praise God, you know, today that I got saved that night. And you know how things are when you try to keep living right and you keep trying to do the right things. The devil's always back in the background. You know, he's always going to be chugging at you and tugging. And so when I was 35, I had my first major heart attack. And I was driving down I-565 towards Huntsville. And it just hit me, you know, like a sledgehammer in a chest. And my hands came out of the steering wheel like that. And next thing I know, I'm, I'm barely getting over to the side of the road. And I just turned my air conditioner up really high and got my face down in it and somehow caught my breath. It's sort of like somebody holding you under the water and you can't breathe. And you're just trying your best to catch your breath and you, you can't do it. But finally, I caught my breath. And you know the first thing that went through my mind? I'm too young to have a heart attack. I couldn't have been a heart attack. So I talked myself out of it being a heart attack. So I just went on about my business for the whole day. When I got home that night, I kept hurting in my back. It felt like somebody had stuck a knife just right in the middle of my back. And so I got down on the ground, and I was like doing a somersault, and I trying to get... Uh, trying to get the pain to go away and it just wouldn't do it so I finally went to the emergency room that night I had the heart attack that morning and uh, they took me in and the next thing I know I'm in an ambulance headed to Huntsville and then they're in there talking about doing stents I'd never heard of stents before so they ended up putting two stents in my heart and uh, I remember Somehow or another, we ended up with the nurse of the year at Huntsville Hospital. And seriously, she was the nurse of the year. Well, she come in and she brought me a little booklet. And she said, are you going to quit smoking? I said, I think so. She said, well, if you're not, you need to look at this book and you need to pick one out. I said, okay. So I opened the book and it was a book of caskets. So it'll make you think, won't it? I'm like, oh my. She said, if you don't quit smoking, you are going to die. You just got to quit. I never touched them again after that. Never. And still won't ever. But it was an eye-opening time. Well, I, I ended up getting out of the hospital, going on about things, and 
I had um, a lot of a lot of time before I started this place called the Bridge. The Bridge was a place where men could come. It was men only. Men could come, and, and we would help them just like to celebrate recovery. And um, we would help them do the steps that it took to, to get themselves together, if they wanted it. And that's a big thing, if they wanted it. They had to want it. But um, we were in Russellville for a minute, then Decatur, and then we ended up in Double Springs. And uh, at one point, we had 50 men there all the time. One would leave, one would come. One would leave, one would come. And um, so we were able to help over 500 men through that ministry. So I'm proud of that, that God used me for that. And uh, we, we really uh, spent a lot of time with them and, and really put them kind of on the spot, but, you know, they were having to do things that they probably weren't used to doing. Um, we tried one time to stop the smoking, and it, uh, it was kind of funny because we just come in there and said, hey, you got to quit smoking. And they said, well, look, we've already quit smoking crack. We don't quit smoking pot. We don't quit doing cocaine. And now you want us to give up cigarettes too? And I was like, yeah. Well, time goes along, and next thing I know, I was walking around the building, and the, the doorway into, that goes into the, under, the, under the house was moved and open. And so I looked around, and I saw smoke coming out of it. And three of the guys had crawled under the crawl space and were under there smoking. And it was just like, man, you're just going to find a way to do what you want to do, ain't you? And, you know, that's what a lot of us do. We find a way to do what we want to do. And we find a way to justify that as we go. Well, I had a heart attack during that period of time, too. It, and I hate to say any of them were light heart attacks because they all were bad. Some of them were just worse than the others. In total, I ended up having nine heart attacks from the time that I was 35 until I was 56. So during those times, uh, it was just hard to explain to you how grateful I was that, that Jesus was there along the way. And it just took care of me along the way. Well, I remember in, in February of 2022, I went to do something and I had this massive, just felt like, you know, I had the life soaked out of me. And I told my wife and she said, well, we got to go to the hospital. So we took off to Florence Hospital and we got in there, and <laughs> I ended up with double pneumonia and a heart, this major heart attack. Well, Dr. Lango was my doctor. She said, said, Trent, I can't do anything else with your heart, man. It's just gone through too much, and you, you, I had five bypasses on, the, on my heart, had a defibrillator in here. I mean, it was just all patched up the best it, 
as much as they could do to it. She said, I can't do anything else with it. We just won't have to put you on the transplant list. And man, you talk about a feeling just dropping, everything drops out of you. I imagine it's sort of like hearing that you got cancer or something, you know, you just, the future's so unknown and you don't know what's going on. And, and really, I had gotten used to feeling wore out and down and out. I didn't want to go anywhere, I didn't want to do anything. Um, my wife's like, hey, why don't we, I don't feel like going, to, I don't, you know, I was just used to that. And that was my new normal at this, at this point. And so, I was like, what, what do we do? How do we do this? And she said, well, I'm going to send all your records down to UAB, and they have a committee that will look at it and see if you're a candidate to have a heart transplant. So she sends all that in. I was looking at my wife's notes yesterday to see exactly when and what happened and the dates and stuff. And, and uh, they called us back in April. This was February. She sent it in, I guess, March. And then April, they called me back and said, hey, you, you are a candidate and we would like to do, start testing on you. And I can remember just like, oh, thank you, Lord. I mean, that's it's your only hope now is to get a heart transplant. And so you're just like, please, Lord, see me through this. And so they do all this testing. We had to go down to Birmingham for a week, and we were down there doing, I bet I took 70 tests of different kinds, uh, all kind of tests. Uh, so we come home, and I was looking, and in July, they called us back and said, hey, we need you to come in in August. I think it was the 16th of August. They called and said, this is when you're going to be coming down for a decision day and let you know if you're going to be on the transplant list or not. And so time rocks along, and, and each day that went by, I was like on pins and needles, because I just didn't want anything to happen before all this happens. So, you know, we get down to Birmingham on August the 16th, and instead of us just getting a decision day, they put me right in the hospital. And so I'm sitting there looking at my wife. We didn't take any clothes with us, no underwear, no nothing. I mean, we're just down there. And so she's like, well, I can go home and get some stuff. And come back. And I said, okay. Well, the very next morning, they take me to surgery and put a balloon in my heart. My heart was that bad that they had to put this balloon in there to blow up and, you know, up, in and out to take relief off of my heart. And so, you know, I had that in there. Well, 11 days later, they came in and they said, Trent, don't drink anything else don't eat anything else and I'm like why and they said we think we found you a heart I'm like whoa for real so now the reality is coming in on me that they've actually found me a heart and so you know you you can't hardly believe it you know it seems unreal that things are fixing to take place but I can remember them getting me ready and pushing me down, and it was about seven o'clock at night, it seems, 
when all this took place and they started wheeling me down towards the surgery. Well, I get to this doorway and it's just pouring down rain outside. And they said, well, the heart's here, but it's in the helicopter outside. And one of the things that kind of blew my mind, and I didn't know this was how they did it, and I don't think all of the surgeons do this, but when they found my heart, my new heart, my surgeon got on a jet airplane and flew to that heart, got out, went into the hospital, and cut that heart out of the donor, put it on ice, got back on the jet, called ahead and said, hey, I'm on my way back, get Stevenson ready, and I'll be back in however long it was going to take. So he's coming back, and they start wheeling me in there, and the next thing I know, I'm out. They gave me whatever they give you, and I was out of it. I immediately saw these, this beautiful, it was almost like 20 suns. And I kept looking at it in my eyes, I couldn't see. And I knew it was something, and I didn't know if I was dying or what was going on. But the next thing, it, it dimmed itself down, and it was Jesus. He was holding my right hand the entire time. The entire time. And I was telling Brother Sammy the story, and what was funny is uh, when I was waking up, my wife kept saying, it's so simple. I kept saying, it's so simple. And she's just like, what are you saying? And I said, it's just so simple. It's easy. It's so simple. But I wasn't awake totally. She just kept saying I was saying that. And finally when I got back to where I could talk a little bit, she said, she told me this, and I was like, well, I know Jesus sent me back with a message. To love yourself, to forgive yourself, to love others, and forgive others. And it's so simple, he said. He said, all you got to do is those four things. Everything else will fall in place. Now, when you start applying that to your life, it's hard to love yourself sometimes. It's hard to forgive yourself sometimes. It's hard to love others most of the time. It's hard to forgive others and truly forgive them a lot of the time. So you think about those four things and if you can truly uh, apply them, everything else is going to fall right into place. I was telling Brother Sammy, uh, he came down to see me and I was telling him my story that I knew I'd seen Jesus and it wasn't like you'd see like you see in these books. It was more radiant than anything else and he was just a so peaceful he gave me peace throughout the whole surgery and you know it's hard to explain things fully but you know it was like he was holding my hand and i could feel it and it was such a firm grip that you couldn't deny it 
And I think he's that way with us all the time if we want it. But you got to want it. You got to live it. You got to strive for it. And, you know, I found myself in the hospital afterwards, and every morning I could hear Satan in my room. He was saying, You know, this is, you're dying today. You ain't going to make it. Oh, yeah, I am. Get out of my room, Satan. You ain't welcome in here. Get out of here. And it seemed like every morning he was always punctual. When I woke up, he was always there trying to throw a wrench in my day. And it was bad enough like it was, but he had to throw that in there. You know, today's the day. You're going to die today. This ain't, you ain't going to make it. And it was so bad that I asked my wife one day, I said, am I going to die in this place? Because the floor that I was on, people were dying. People were choking to death. You know, when you get pneumonia and stuff, you, you can't breathe. And it gets so bad that it just clogs all your, you're all the way up and you can't breathe and it just, you drown. And it's just, uh, you know, a bad place to be trying to get better sometimes if you hear all this stuff going on around you. But Satan would be like, you hear that? That's the way you're going to be. I'm like, no, it didn't. It was a constant battle. But, you know, Jesus is alive. He is with us. And it's just like that song we sang, Oh, Holy Spirit. He's with us. He guides us. He leads us. Um, I was talking to Brother Sammy before the service about uh, something I wanted to read today a little bit. And it's about the Good Samaritan. How many of you know about the Good Samaritan? And I think I was blessed to have so many Good Samaritans looking after me. Um, Jesus was telling a story. After one of the... He was trying to teach, and then they were trying to discredit Jesus, and so one of them said, well, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And most, most of us think our neighbors who lives by us. But that's not necessarily true. The story says a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes and they beat him up and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came by, but when he saw the man, he crossed over and went to the other side. A temple assistant walked over and looked at the man lying there, but he also passed on to the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And I, I kept studying this, and then he was despised. And I studied a little more and found out he was like a half-breed. He was part one and part of another. And so he was despised in that area. The Samaritan came along, 
And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed the wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged him up. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn. So when he got him to the inn, he gave and paid for the man. And he said, look, if his bill runs more than what I'm giving you, then I'll be back and, and reimburse you. So which of these three is your neighbor? Your neighbor is not who you live by at all. Your neighbor is those who are there when you need them. And Brother Sammy was talking about all the people that came here when the tornado came. And they came from all around. California, you said, and different states. And people came in here and helped and to do things that they didn't have to do. They didn't have to go in their own pocket to get here and do those things. But they did. And those are good Samaritans. Well, I think I had a lot of good Samaritans looking after me. Not only my three Samaritans in the back, and Jared, you too. You just ain't as pretty as the other three. But, um, yeah, the, there was a time that I had a setback at Birmingham. And I got septus, got an infection, and I just plummeted on, my oxygen plummeted down to like 60. Supposed to be like 95. And so I start blacking out. Well, they call this code something or another, and all of a sudden my room was just full of, of nurses. And I seen my doctor, he come in there, he pulled his coat off and threw it over to the side. I knew I was in trouble when I saw that. But they weren't thinking about their cell for their lunch break or nothing like that. But I remember one guy got behind me, he set me up. Another guy was right in my face doing this and said, hey, stay with me right here, right here. And then I seen other nurses all the way around me and they were just amazing team of people down there. And they saved me with Jesus' help from dying right then and there. Next thing I know, I'm headed to emergency surgery. And I don't know if uh, a lot of you know about how heart transplant surgery works, but they have this machine called an ECMO machine. And that ECMO machine, it acts like a heart and a lung. Well, there's a drain that comes out right here in your groin area that, that drains out. Well, that's what kept getting infected and I couldn't get it to stop. And that's what they were trying to work on. End up having to have a major surgery on that where they did a muscle flap. That didn't work all the way right. So they did a second surgery on it, did another type flap. And then they ended up doing a third surgery on it. So I had three surgeries on my groin and that's why, you know, and it still ain't a hundred, hundred percent but it's 95% healed up. And that's amazing how the body will heal itself. All, just by, that's amazing how God created this body of ours. Amazing how it regenerates and, and 
heals itself. Well, these good Samaritans have left a mark on me to the point where they have a group down there called the Legacy of Hope. And the Legacy of Hope is, a, is the in-between group that coordinates a donor to a recipient like me. And without them, there wouldn't be you know, a smooth transaction of all of this to take place. So as soon as I got my feet under me, I just felt like this need to give back. And so what I've done is, is I went through a couple of classes online and went through a class with uh, Abby, the leader down there. And so now I'm a, I am an ambassador for the Legacy of Hope. And Legacy of Hope is just a trying to get people to set up to be donors, um, organ donors, that you can save a lot, of, you can save eight lives. One person can save eight other people um, if something happened. So now I'm trying to speak in different places and trying to advocate and trying to, trying to get people to sign up. It's the least I think I can do. But I'm always quick to give Jesus the glory, the honor, and the praise to be standing here before you today. And I thank God He's got a special blessing for this church. I think God is here. I think the Holy Spirit is dwelling. And you know, it's amazing to me that God has blessed us so immensely. And you don't realize that until you go on some type of mission trip. You know, I went to Nicaragua several years back and to see how those guys have to live. And, you know, they might make a dollar a day. And we throw three or four dollars down for a tip, you know, at lunch or dinner or whatever. And we're giving away more money than they'll make in a month just for a tip. So we got to think about how blessed we really are. We got to think about how we are not just in the greatest country in the world, but we're Christians in the greatest country in the world. And this world, not just our country, but this whole world is turned upside down with sin and crime and drugs and, you know, just dirty, nasty stuff that we don't, we don't need. And the only way we're going to get past that is to continue to the next generation to bring them to church and teach them right, teach them how to work. You know, it's amazing how many kids don't know how to work now. You know, they... They get a job, and, but they're always on their phone, and you know, they, they're dug up in it. And you know, the kid's two years old. I've seen them two years old just sitting there working the phone better than I can. Um, and I, I think that kids, they soak in like a sponge 
whatever we give them. So if we're giving them the Bible, it's just like Cohen and, and little Katie Kate, Jared and Haley's feeding the Bible into them. Yeah, they got a phone, but they don't let them do everything they want to do on it or everything that's possible to do on it. And that's a choice we make as parents and grandparents. We got to limit the time that they are on those devices and put more Jesus into their minds so that they, when they get to the point where they can make their own decision about being a Christian, it's a simple thing. I mean, it really is very easy and simple, just like Jesus told me. It's so simple. It's so simple. Why would you want to live without Jesus? It's, it doesn't even make any sense to me why people would want to live without Him. And I pray that you're here, if you're here today that you wouldn't want to live without Him either. And a lot of people, you know, they, they let the devil get behind them and say, ah, you don't want to get up and stand up in front of all these people and walk up the aisle. You don't want to do that. But you know what? You need to listen to the Spirit that's within the room and within the area and within you, really. You need to just follow what the Spirit tells you to do. If it tells you to turn right, turn right. Tells you to turn left, turn left. But if it takes the willingness for you to do that, it doesn't just happen. So I pray for every one of you. And I thank you for the time. And my mom, she uh, she don't she didn't realize this, but I do not have cancer. Okay? What happened was, is I went to get my hair trimmed, and I usually have a number two guard on it, and the girl didn't put any guard on it, and she goes, Shh, and she said, ooh. I said, what does that mean? She said, I've just scalped you on the side over here. You want to see it? And I said, I felt of it. I was like, nah. I said, just cut it all off. Because you know what? Compared to what I've been through, <laughs> it ain't no big deal. <laughs> it ain't no big deal. But I thank you guys for allowing me to come and share my testimony and let you know how God is so good and it's so easy. You know, just let Him lead your way and don't fight Him. But uh, thank you, Brother Sammy, for allowing me to come. And I appreciate everything and everybody. And uh, I'm just going to ask you to come on back and do it. Well, thank you, Brother Trent. He's seated there for just a few minutes. You know, we, uh, I, I failed to do something. When I was at the hospital, Trent, shared with me some um, special friends he had down there. Of course, he had lots of friends. But these were nurses that uh, he had uh, shared the gospel with and had come to know Christ. And so, Trent, how many, how many came to know Christ while you were down? You bought Bibles for them, is that right? 
had six. Okay, six. And they attend. They came in his room from time to time, and those six that came in there, they, oh, they he he shared the gospel and they they prayed, asked Christ to come in their life and save them. And I had a pic. I saw pictures of them holding their Bibles. It's really neat. And so. Uh, he uh, kind of worked the hospital over while he was down there, and so that's good. Thank you for coming today. Marvelous story, you know, to let you know how important life is. Uh, Trent uh, has been through a lot, but God, he didn't go through it by himself. God was right there with him. I, I read the article in the in Times Daily recently. And, uh, was it a brother uh, uh, that drew the... His brother drew the artwork uh, as best described by Trent of that vision he saw of Jesus, and it was in the paper. And so, uh, uh, but anyway, it's amazing testimony. Life is so short. Life is brief. And, uh, and so what you need to do, you know what you have time for? I'll tell you what you have time for. Why God's giving you time. Why he's giving me time. He's given us time. Time's not important to God. He's... He's in eternity. He's eternity past, eternity uh, future. It's all about eternity. He doesn't need time. We need time. And the reason we need time is to prepare for the future, to prepare for eternity. And so that's why we are given time. Okay? We're going to live somewhere uh, forever, forever. Eternity. We're in eternity in that part, in that sense of the word. Somewhere. We're never going to die. We're going to be living somewhere. Somewhere. But what we need to do is to plan where we're going to live. You're going to go for what you're planned for. If you plan to go to heaven, then you make that preparation. When you die, you're going to die. Don't be so naive to think you're not going to die. But we're going to die. And you've been given time to make plans to go to heaven. And if you don't make those plans to go to heaven, unbeknown to a lot of people, they're making plans to go to hell. But you're going to be somewhere. A hundred years from now, you're going to be somewhere. Fifty years, I'm going to... Fifty years, I'm going to be somewhere. So where are you going to be? Well, it's real simple. You can trust Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. And immediately, you'll have the assurance that you're going to heaven. And whatever you experience down here, you don't have to experience by yourself because he promises to hold your right hand. Your right hand. And so, have you trusted him and only him to be your, your savior? Your savior. That's why he came. He came to be our savior. Of all the things we'd like to have, the most thing we needed was, the most important thing we needed was a savior. And God sent Jesus to be our Savior. Don't leave this world without a Savior. It's not good. And so today you have an opportunity to just surrender yourself to Jesus. And say, God, I don't understand all about it, but I do know it's simple to trust you and only you for my salvation. You need to come today. We're not talking about being a member of a Baptist church. You know, we're talking about receiving Christ into your life. To be with you here, to have an abundant life here, and then when you die, to live with him forever in heaven. That's what it's all about. So if you haven't done so already, surrender your life to him today. Come forward and say, Brother Sammy, I want to be saved. When everybody leaves, then we'll, we'll sit down and talk. I will never embarrass you. 
Let's stand together prayerfully, reverently.